With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 488 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. You're back. I'm back. I know. Um, yeah, we moved. We bought a house. So the last couple of weeks have been a little bananas as we've been trying to uh, get all that figured out. Yeah. And you also had the fun, um, the same thing when I was selling my old house, you had the fun like, oh, we're going to sign it this week. No, we're not. Oh, yeah. yeah, we got delayed twice at the last minute. And by last minute, I mean like two days before you're we supposed to close. So yeah, but we made it. We're in. Not stressful at all. Not stressful at all. No. Um, I meant to ask you this when, like, in the past couple of days, when we were talking, because you, um, we discussed how you were kind of like me in the sense, like, you and your husband basically got everything unpacked. But the important question is, like, do you guys have all your books unpacked already? No, because we need bookcases because all of the bookcases we'd had were like broken and from college. So we're gonna buy <laughs> nice bookcases. Um, so no, our books are still in boxes. My office is a mess because all of my books are here and I don't have a desk because I left my desk behind because I want to buy a new one. And I was like, if I don't bring my desk, I will be forced to buy a new one. Um, but now I have to actually buy a new one. I forgot that part of it. It's like the actual like, needing to buy one part. So yeah, but it's okay. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Plus, I mean, if there's ever a time to buy like a nice at-home workstation for yourself, it's it's now because who knows when we're going to all be back to offices and how that'll work. So yeah, Correct. I think it's a good justification. Correct. Yes. Um, I hesitate to even ask because you've been doing a million things, but have you have you been able to read it all in the uh, the last week or two since people have heard your voice? I have actually. Um, I recently read um, a book called The Last Flight by Julie Clark. Our friend um, Tiffany actually mentioned it on a reading ebook day episode, and it sounded so good. I checked it out. Um, this is about um, a woman who is trying to get out of an abusive marriage she's going on the run um and she's got like flights books she's had a friend set her up with like fake passports and all this stuff there is a plan in place and then her husband he's a politician her husband um because he like sends her on a different flight because there's something she needs to do as a politician's wife. And so her whole plan is all screwed up and she's going to go to this place and her husband's going to go to where she was supposed to go. And he's going to find out she had this whole plan in place. Um, and when she's at the airport, she meets another woman who is trying to escape her life. And they basically sort of like switch identities and get on each other's planes. And then there's a plane crash. And <laughs> <laughs> 
Everyone thinks the politician's wife has died because it was her plane she was supposed to be on. And it turns out the woman whose identity she took has her own secrets of things for why she was on the run. So it was really interesting. It kind of goes back and forth between um, sort of what led these two women to this place where they're trying to escape their lives um, while also dealing with the fact that this like politician's wife, everyone thinks she's she's not and is that good or bad and she's like discovering things about her husband and it was really good yeah yeah that sounds awesome yeah um yeah all right so today's episode isn't about just like jill and i talking about stuff but we i figured you would have a book to chat about um before we get to the actual uh interview so i did i sat down with um maggie steve otter and cami garcia because they both have really cool origin story um, graphic novels that have come out for uh, DC Comics, who we've gotten to do a couple of pretty cool things with over the past couple of months. Uh, Cammy's book is called Teen Titans Beast Boy. She also wrote uh, another Teen Titans story for Raven. Um, and then Maggie Stiebauter's book is called Swamp Thing, Twin Branches. Uh, we get into both of their stories and how they put them together, but um, they're both uh, a good way to kind of think about them is it's almost like body horror, like strange things happening to these young teens, like bodies as they're going through things. Cause it literally is like the origin of Swamp Thing and then the origin of Beast Boy. Um, they're really, really interesting. And this was one of those conversations where I didn't feel like I needed to be in the Zoom other than to just record because they're both very um, outgoing and funny and they have their friends. They have like this really wonderful relationship. So it was fun to see them talk back and forth about the writing process. And uh, I'm always fascinated when people talk about comics and graphic novels who are also writers of long novels in their mm. normal life. Um, just hearing them talk about how challenging it is for them to like pare down, making sure every word counts and, and that type of stuff. So it's really, really interesting. Um, if people want to get a hold of us, how can they do that, Joe? They can go to our website, professionalbookcarrots.com. We're on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds. You can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. Yes, you can. Um, and loving all, there have been a, a bunch of people who have written in lately. So really appreciate that. Um, it, it, it makes me very happy. I, I said this on Twitter, but like when people send us book recommendations to our email, and they're like, Jill, I heard you re reading this type of book. You're going to love mm -hmm. this. Like, Adam, you're gonna, it's like my favorite thing ever. So please keep doing that if you guys like. Um, Okay, I think that's everything for today. Uh, so I will let you guys get to this conversation with Maggie Stiebotter and Cami Garcia on the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Maggie, I will let you introduce Swamp Thing Twin Branches because you were the first one that logged out and I'm looking at your <laughs> screen. No good deed goes unpunished. All right. So I'm Maggie Stevar. Do I have to introduce myself as well? No, I'll, I'll take care of all that. Okay. 
All right, so Swamp Thing is my take on Swamp Thing's origin story. And it's my first graphic novel. It's my first art collaboration. I was a full-time portrait artist when I was um, first starting out post-college. So very interesting to collaborate with someone else's words. And then Swamp Thing is my first foray into uh, comic book writing too, and playing with other people's toys, really. And I think I saw you say that you got to select the choice of character that you wanted to pick. Because Swamp Thing feels like a very Maggie Steve Otter character to me. And DC was wonderful. They came to me and they said, Maggie, would you like to play with our toys? And I said, yes, I would love to play with your toys. And they said, you may pick out anything from the box of toys. And of course, there are all of these very sexy and well-known things. Cammie, who you will speak to in just a few seconds has chosen <laughs> some of the more sexy and wonderful things. And I looked at all of these wonderful toys and I thought, here's one which is dusty and gross at the bottom of the box that no one knows anything about. And I will take this one. What is this? It's got mildew on it. It's Swamp Thing. And I um, had a, a, a pretty good familiarity with who Swamp Thing was, but I figured nobody else did. I mean, before everyone in your audience begins howling and says, I knew it, I read the original slander. <laughs> I still think that if I walked into um, one of my events, which is hard to imagine in these days, but if I walked into one of my events and said, my next thing is Swamp Thing, they wouldn't have an attachment to Swamp Thing already, which made me feel like I got to really reinvent it without having to play and subvert with other people's expectations. And for me, that's like the perfect version of playing with a toy. Lots of um, far away boundaries rather than the walls closing in. <laughs> but I mean, Swamp Thing, it makes such sense to me. You can't see my office. This is a podcast. I know what your office looks like. But it's got so many. I have, I think, 50 plants in this office. And Swamp Thing with Alec Holland and his relationship to the natural world feels like a very Steve Otter character. It feels like a super Steve Otter character. And so, Cammie, you wrote Teen Titans Beast Boy. This is not your first graphic novel, but I will let you introduce it. This is like old hat for you doing this type of a story, I feel. Um, Nick, do, sorry, do me a favor and close the door, please. Um, so for me, the Beast Boy is my second graphic novel, but I still kind of feel new because it's, like DC again was like Maggie it was my first introduction to doing graphic novels. And they came to me and um, they also said, you can play with our toys. And I, well, first I pitched villains and they're like, we're not really doing that. So then I said, okay, which choice can I play with? And I basically said like, who do you need? Like, who would you love to see somebody do? And they said, um, you know, well, like Supergirl. And I said, there's no way I can write that. Um, they didn't know me yet. Like I am not, I'm very dark girl. Supergirl is not really my jam. And then they said teen Titans and I love the teen Titans. Um, so I felt like, I mean, for me, because I grew up reading graphic novels and comics, I felt like, and I had also done an X-Files project before. So I felt like it, for me, it's easier if I am a true fan of the, of the property, if I know that I love the characters, because then I'm going to come at it like a fan. Um, and so um, I wanted to do origin stories. I wanted to kind of explore the idea of rather than looking at superheroes that happen to be teenagers, I wanted to deal with um, teenagers that happen to have superpowers. And I wanted it to feel really grounded. Like, um, I mean, I think, you know, Maggie's is too, like you could meet our teen characters at school. Like they could be regular kids. 
Um, and I wanted that feeling, even though there was going to be some magic. And um, I started with Raven. My partner in crime is Gabriel Piccolo, who's an amazing artist. And he had um, a lot of fan art that was very similar to the sensibility that I wanted. He had already been drawing Teen Titans in like regular clothes, hoodies and, you know, Letterman jackets and like high tops. So when I saw his work, I was like, this is perfect. And DC was awesome. Um, they had given me a lot of artists to look at, but I kept saying like, I love these people, but like, I know it when I see it. Like I have, I don't have a picture in my mind, but I have like a vibe I'm going for. And the minute I saw Gabriel's stuff, I was like, this is it. And um, I showed it to them and they had actually heard of him. And they said, I mean, I thought basically they were going to say, that's great. He's not a comic book artist. So, you know, we'll try to find you someone similar. That's what I was kind of going for. But they said, no, we'll reach out to him. And that's when I kind of knew I had made the right decision mm -hmm. to work with DC. Because at first I was a little nervous. Like, I hope this is going to be fun. I hope they're as cool as they seem, like, you know, you know, meeting with them. And that's when I knew, like, if they're willing to, like, take a chance on a young artist you know, who they haven't worked with, like that means they're really invested in this and they want to do something new and really interesting. So that also got me excited. Yeah. Well, and for both of you, I feel like the way that DC is doing these graphic novels, these like teen, like YA graphic novels, I feel like it lets you break from the traditional like superhero storytelling format in the sense that it seems to be, and you can both correct me if I'm way off base, but from all of the different DC conversations I've had, so we, we did one other DC panel a couple months ago, and they all seemed to say, like, they let us tell the stories we wanted to tell. Like, is that true for you both as well? And I'll start with Meg. I'll try to do my best to, like, direct which one of you to talk so you don't both try, but... It's hard because you, because we're in, I think we're in different configurations. I know exactly. Like I can't like point to my left because you'll probably just both start talking. But like, so Maggie, for you, were you able to, did you kind of have that freedom to say, here's the origin story I want to tell? For starters, I have to say that uh, when you said that you had to tell which one of us to speak, I immediately imagined that we would both speak at the same time and harmonize. I just saw a video <laughs> of harmonizing sandwiches. I know we were talking about dogs before this podcast starts, and this makes me sound like a tremendous dog geek, but I really am a tremendous dog geek. Yeah. But also, it was amazing. You should Google this immediately after you finish listening to this podcast. I almost don't want to and, finish uh, the podcast. harmonizing. It's amazing, and Cammie and I should totally do it. Uh, yeah, it was actually kind of daunting as far as having um, so much freedom with Swamp Thing. First of all, yes, like Cammie said, working with DC was great. I've always worked on prose novels, and my prose novels are not short things. They're big, massive, uh, wordy, descriptive, heavy, dreamy. People say that it's like a fever dream. I have no idea what just happened, but I liked it. You can't do that in... Mm -hmm graphic novels, everything has to be explicit and on the page. And moreover, you're handing over the control of what it looks like to an artist. Mm -hmm. So the story rules were actually very broad. They just said, it's gotta be identifiably Swamp Thing. We want it to feel like Swamp Thing. We want you to be kind of dealing with the same themes that Swamp Thing was dealing with. And otherwise, pitch us, let us know what you want it to sound like. And we'll tell you if that's wrong. And the thing is that writing about a kid who is obsessed with plants, who's obsessed with biology, and writing about language, which is what Swamp Thing for me really is about, my version of it. 
I mean, that just fit so naturally. So if there were rules, I just never got close to them. But the rules of the medium, yeah, for sure, definitely. When I was taking a break from going from a prose novel to writing a graphic novel script, but I have to tell you, it was amazing mm -hmm. to be able to just go and say, all right, well, you know what? I, I can't do anything with this. I know what I want it to look like, but I'm not going to, I'm just going to hand it over. Morgan can do what she will with it. So yeah, that was definitely it. No rules from DC, definitely rules from the medium. Cammie, yeah. what about you? I know you mentioned having a, you know, existing, a existing relationship with the artist. So I'm imagining that lended you to be able to show a lot of the character in arc developments. Oh, I didn't know Gabriel before okay. we started, but I knew his work. Mm, so yeah. that, you know, helped a little bit because I already was like, you know, I could reference things in his work because I mm. loved his work. But um, we did talk a ton at the beginning um, because it's an origin story. Uh, really, Raven was the only familiar character and Beast Boy is the same way. Like you meet Beast Boy, but everybody else in his town is new. They're his friends. Mm -hmm. You know, we had to create all those people from scratch. So we talked a lot about it, the sensibility, kind of um, what the vision was. Like what do, you know, like what Maggie said, like what's the essence of this character? Like what do we want people to be able to take away mm -hmm. from this? And I used to always say like my books don't have a theme, but my readers were like, your books totally have theme. All of your books are about like identity and defining yourself and found families. So now I just own it. And in this <laughs> series, it really is about found family, like, you know, figuring out who you want to be and not letting other people tell you who you have to be. And so um, I kind of, you know, we took that on together and for me, it was a really natural fit because even though I do did come from prose and my novels are also long, um, when I write, like when I, I started out by writing with a partner, with Margaret Stoll, who mm -hmm. did Beautiful Creatures with me, and that helped me in this, obviously, because I had worked with someone before. But um, unlike when I work with Margie, when I write solo, my stuff is very lean. Um, it, my first drafts are very much plot driven and character arc driven. Like my editor will say things like, is everyone going to wear jeans in the next like edit or like, are they going to have on like their own clothes? Cause like for me, it's like, I tell you basically what they look like. And then I describe the plot and the character arcs and everything else is dialogue. So it's very script like in mm -hmm. the sense that I fatten it up later. Mm -hmm. So with this, it worked because Gabriel does the fattening up. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I would write things, you know, I would obviously give him a lot of guidelines, but um, because, for example, like I also write, I'm doing an adult black label series for DC that's very prescriptive because that is very different because I, it's a procedural. So I have to like say every single thing that I mm -hmm. need in the room. With Gabriel, I said things like, you know, um, you know, Raven moves into her new room that Max has decorated. You know, the walls are covered with, um, you know, New Orleans posters and music and, you know, like funny fandoms mm -hmm. and her cute bed. And um, I think I said like something like twinkle lights. And it's like, I literally got this bedroom back that looked like it belonged to a teen girl that made me look like a genius. <laughs> and I had only written that. Yeah. But that's kind of the fun of it for me is um, I really love being a reader. Mm -hmm. And I have always felt that when you work with a partner, the fun thing is that you get to be a reader and a writer because when the other person sends you things back, 
you have like a new story to read. And even though this is sequential art, it's the same thing. Like I send him a page and then I get things back and it's like the story has become real on the page. Mm -hmm. Like Maggie, did you have that experience too? Like you would get the page, when I got the pages, I was so excited. Yeah, there's some of the spreads. We really paid a lot of attention to the spreads. That's, uh, do you hear me sounding like I know what I'm talking about with comic books? Spreads, and comic like the spreads, right? Yeah, yeah sure. Um, yeah, so one of the fun things we had to do is that you probably had to do those two cameos. They walked you through what a graphic novel was yeah. and the lingo of it so that we didn't just take our artists and drive them insane by saying, could you do the doohickey thing where it's like the yeah. talk bubble and arrow thing and kabow? And they're like, that's unacceptable. You cannot do that. Um, yeah, so some of the spreads would come back and they were so incredibly lush and detailed. And one of the things that Morgan and I agreed upon is that first of all, I wanted Morgan to be able to have loads of free reign because I was a portrait artist before I was an author and I did lots of portrait commissions. And one of the things that was most frustrating is if somebody gave you rules that cramped your style literally your style, what they asked you for, and then if they gave you a rule. So Morgan got to do what she wanted to do, but also the other rule was, on every single page can there be a plant. It doesn't matter if it's inside, if it's outside, if they're on a sidewalk or whatever, I wanna see leaves growing into that, and by the time you get to the end of Swamp Thing, I want all of the pages just to be alive. And watching Morgan do that, I don't even want to think about what her hand must have felt like <laughs> doing those pages. Because like, as you know, Cammie, they do these in such a short period of I time. Know. So many pages a day and so many leaves, just millions and millions of leaves in Swamp Thing. So that was very impressive. And for me, the most important thing for me when I'm writing a novel is mood. I start with mood. I say, how do I want my readers to feel when they start this? And how do I want them to feel when they finish it? And I want them to remember that long after they remember any of the plot things or the characters or yeah, just the mood. And handing the reins over to Morgan was like saying, we're playing a game. This is the mood I want. Can you, are you on the same page? So I'm literally on the same page. So to open up that final art and think, oh yeah, this feels like what I wanted it to feel like. Mm -hmm. To me, it was like a, a perfect collaboration. And kind of amazing, actually, because like you said, how could they possibly get that from those tiny little bits of yeah. words that you stick onto every single script? Yeah, it was amazing. It's also interesting. The There's some things that I think tie your stories together that I'll get to in a second. But the things that I think are fairly different is like Teen Titans has a certain like style and the way that I imagine it in my mind. And like the it, it is impressive that the art matches that. Like it's very vibrant and it feels almost a little bit younger and like even though there's things that are going on that are very like serious for these characters it's really fun and whereas like Swamp Thing has always been super dark and like my god speaking of art my god the artwork Maggie and like at the end of your book I was like oh, god. like I was like swat. I was reading it like late at night and I was like Jesus this is it's very Swamp Thing-esque but like something that I think does tie both of your stories together is this feeling especially that teens tend to go through is being uncomfortable in your body and very much like these two characters to an extreme for obvious reasons because they're not like oh. kind of like you said they're not just it's not like they're a superhero where their superpower is like oh i can fly that's great like, right their superpower is like their body chemically changing yeah dealing with that so how did you both and i'll start with you cammy uh, how did you both 
address that, especially coming from a, a situation where your main characters are teens when that's such a uncomfortable age physically for pretty much everybody. Yeah, that's kind of a theme for Beast Boy. The, you know, it's the, the hard thing about Beast Boy is he's always kind of comic relief. He's always joking around and stuff in like the animated series and in the comics. And Gabriel and I really wanted to give him weight. And um, so one of the things that we did is we played with like body image because he's very small and he's not self-conscious because he's small in terms of being like short. He's self-conscious because he's small. His voice hasn't changed. So people are constantly like thinking he's a freshman when he's a senior, like he wants to look and feel older. And, um, and so Basically, at the beginning, you see he's kind of skinny. His clothes are really baggy. You, you hear, like, this old lady in, you know, a town, like, you know, mention, you know, like, you know, when he's, seven, you know, 17, and he's like, I'm, like, I'm, I'm a senior. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, so he's frustrated, and you get a sense of that. And you see him also compared to, like, his best friend Tank um, is, like, a big kid, tall, mm-hmm. big, um, He's also a competitive eater, but he's a big, healthy kid. Um, and so, you know, and Gar's like, he's the same height as like his best friend, Stella, who's a girl. And he's like jokes around and like says like, you know, her, his voice is higher than hers. Mm-hmm. And so as his powers start to manifest, he starts to go through these physical changes. And one of the first things that happens is he grows a couple inches practically overnight. Um, so Gabriel like really intentionally had like his clothes suddenly are tighter. So it looks like his clothes like aren't fitting. Um, his voice drops, he gains weight. Um, so like you start to see that change and he's of course super excited about this. All of a sudden his reflexes are better. He's like, you know, goes to gym. He's not the last person picked. He feels super cool. But one of the things I struggled with was, um, you know, Beast Boy in, in the, in um, other mediums is green, like all the time. He has green skin and then he turns into animals. So in this one, he is, um, he's Latino, but he has, you know, human colored skin. And then he only turns green when he fully transforms, which is towards the end of the book. And at the beginning, he can channel animal powers, but he doesn't actually transform his body. Mm-hmm. So we will show, for example, there's one where he, tra- he uses like the agility of like a cougar so you see a cougar kind of like um, superimposed behind him and like translucent almost. And then his eyes are green and you see him kind of mimicking the movements of the animal. But the hard thing was because the, the kind of idea for this line is to be able to attract um, new readers and also people who might not necessarily be comic book readers yet, mm-hmm. I, I had to assume that you might not know who Beast Boy is and you might not understand his powers. So I needed to be able to explain what was going on also, like Maggie, chemically, like what was going on biologically with him. And that was really complicated. But the way we solved the problem was also a spread, a double-page spread, Basically, I did a lot of research and, um, you know, adrenaline, which fuels, you know, like kind of the, the jacked up response where someone suddenly is like a mom is strong enough to pick up a car that's on her child. That really comes from your fight or flight response and adrenaline um, and signals from your brain. So Gabriel did this awesome page where you see kind of internally the anatomy of Beast Boy and you see like you know, in, in the hippocampus, you see like his brain is triggered and you see like 
um, you know, the messages go down to his heart and like the adrenaline shoots down and then you see like adrenaline like swimming around in his veins and it's all really cool. But, um, and then you see kind of the animal's DNA helix and his kind of fusing, which is not correct biology, but like it's comic book biology. But the other biology, I wanted to be correct enough that people could understand that like when you get super scared or you are in a, you know, a pressure situation and your body triggers, like, you know, this is what happens. Things, you know, adrenaline flushes your, um, flushes into your system. Mm-hmm. You know, you suddenly get that kind of like high and, you know, the Superman feeling of like, I can do anything. And that's kind of how we translated it. But it, it is very much like Maggie's where, um, things are happening to his body that he doesn't, he isn't in control of a hundred percent. And some, you know, I mean, and honestly, I mean, all that stuff kind of is a parallel to puberty and being a teen. Cause like you do have all this stuff going on with your body. And even if you have a class about it, like you can't decide when it happens or how it works, you know? So it is like, you're kind of, um, you wake up and like, you know, sometimes you're taller, sometimes your skin is, looks great. Sometimes it doesn't. Well, and like Maggie, for yours and dealing with like kind of the, the body adjustments and the, like the, you know, biology of it, it it's where in that, you know, in Teen Titan, like he, Beast Boy gets kind of excited about all these things. Your character, even he's dealing with like he has diabetes and like sometimes his sugar will just correct itself. And like, he's like, even though it's a good thing, he's like, hold on, what the hell's going on? Like, you it's quite the opposite like how your character is dealing with it is it's like almost like a fear of not knowing what's what is any of this so how did you approach that writing it is was it because there are some visual things but when you're writing out the story like how did you approach that feeling as well well you should know i have always been very annoyed with my body in general just as a human there's a you've ever read wrinkle in time Mm-hmm. Yes, there's that scene, of course, where they meet it and his brain on the table. And I thought, that's it. That's the ideal. Body goals, 2020, right there, brain on a table. Don't need the rest of it. And uh, that's really the feeling that I wanted to get across with Swamp Thing is just this idea of being so uncomfortable with your own physical form and other people's physical form. Because I feel like, I feel like there are two great big lies that we have been told as humans. The first one, is that cats are domesticated. They're not domesticated. They're evil. They pee in sinks. We might love them, but you can't count on them to love you back. One. Two, I feel like it's the other big lie, which is that something magically happens to us all in adulthood, and we love our bodies, and we feel like our bodies accurately depict our internal Yeah. And we accurately feel like um, we can communicate with other humans magically. And you think that, oh, I'm, I'm super awkward now because I'm a teen. I am here to tell you that goes on for the rest of your life. You just get over it. Actually, that's not true. You don't get over it. That's the whole point of Swamp Thing. So that's one of the things that I wanted to talk about in Swamp Thing is just this sense of learning to navigate discomfort because it's, it's not going to get more comfortable. You just learn to live with the fact that it's imperfect, that you have type 1 diabetes like my husband or that you're turning into a plant, et cetera, et cetera. I, um, yeah, so I wanted to really talk about navigating not just that space between you and other people, but that space between you and yourself. I don't know if you saw on the news yesterday, I got a breaking news email from National Geographic. Did you guys see this, that they detected yes. life 
quote unquote life mm -hmm. on Venus. All right, so this is what I love about this story. And I realized, <laughs> am I gonna go off on a tangent? We're gonna, we're gonna try, okay. Let's do this. So what I love about this story is that they discovered the process or they discovered trace amounts of phosphine gas in the clouds 35 miles up on Venus. And this is a byproduct on Earth of biological processes. So they assume that on Venus, that means that A, that they detected it incorrectly. It's not really there. B, that uh, phosphine gas gets made in a different way on Venus, or C, that there are alien life forms in the clouds on Venus. And what I love about this is people are like, wait, so what kind of life could possibly be living in a cloud all the time? Like, well, what kind of life could be living in our oceans? What kind of life could be living on the surface? Maybe there's scientists and Venus going, have we looked for life like on the surface of Earth instead of in the clouds? Because the clouds are empty. There's no intelligent life. <laughs> and I think about this when I'm writing Swamp Things. See, I brought it back around. Which well done. Is Alec Holland is obsessed with plants and how they communicate because he thinks they make more sense than humans. But we really just work with the same kind of weird levels of everybody has rules. And if you learn those rules, you know how to talk to them. And he hasn't learned the rules of other people and he hasn't learned the rules of himself. The end. You did it. I was, I, I was pretty sure for a second that I lost control. You're gone. You're like, oh, that was fine. Over. She, Maggie and I are both very tangenty, but we're good at like finding our way back. That's no, right. I, Through the Venus cloud. The other, the other thing that strikes me is really interesting too. Um, that now, just now, because obviously I'm with you, Maggie, is um, that you know, I mean, and not everyone knows, but like you know, Maggie and I both have kind of weird bodies where our chemicals do what they want and don't always cooperate with us and don't always produce you know iron and all of the chemicals we need. Um, I, you know, I, I am invisibly disabled. I have, um, also connective tissue disorder, but like, it's interesting because I feel like somehow, and I say this to a lot of, about a lot of writers, but I feel like somehow if you write YA, and I'm also finding this in comics, you somehow have this ability to very vividly remember what it's like to be a teen. And then when Maggie was saying like how, you know, we're all still dealing with that as adults, I always say that's what makes me feel, that's why I feel like YA writers almost become YA writers. Cause like, we're the ones that like didn't grow up and say, oh my gosh, like teens are so weird. I'm so glad I'm an adult now. We're just, I'm like, I always look at Maggie's like race car stuff and think like, thank God, like there's somebody else having trouble, like fitting in with all the moms at school. Because I can't imagine Maggie. I am a god at school. I should tell you that, by the way. All because of the, kids, of the car? Because of the <laughs> car or the books? In front of the high school. My kids come oh. running out. All the kids are like, can you give us a ride home, too? Yeah, anyway. But also, no, I think, it's, find, I think it's true. that are going to find the I same also, thing. I have mm -hmm. a friend who says that she has taken an informal poll and says that she has found that more YA writers met their the loves of their lives married young or met their high school sweethearts and then married them than the general population. I think that's true, right? If you know who you are when you're a teen, it's easier to remember it. So I think a lot of times it's not that other people can't remember what it's like to be a teen. They're actually just still going through the process of finding out who they are. So it's uncomfortable to look back at it they want to think oh no i'm past that oh you're still working out who you are sir well, it's so interesting you guys said first off this is the easiest podcast i've ever done i could just sit here quietly and let you two talk to each other and then i could just <laughs> produce it at the end this is great um 
But I was actually earlier today, I um, interviewed Bill Koningsberg and he has a book coming out called The Bridge, which is about uh, teen suicide. And he has, he told me, he's like, he had suicidal thoughts and depression like all throughout his life. So he said part of what he found easy writing this book about teenagers who are feeling that way is just that he he always knew how that felt so it it wasn't even like I'm writing a teenager it was I'm writing a depressed person who happens to be a teenager and I like I feel like that's the same way for your books here it's like yes your characters happen to be superheroes but really the main the majority of both of your books because really they don't become the version that people recognize until the very end of both your books very convenient that I could tie Mm -hmm. it together so thank you both for writing your stories that way you're so welcome thinking of me um but it's you're writing, you know, everyone, no matter what age it first happened, like everyone had friendships who they felt, you know, were challenging at times or that they were really close with, or they fell in love with someone like, and no matter what age you first felt that everyone did feel that way at some point. So just remembering how you felt as a teenager and then finding ways to relate to teenagers today, which God bless both of you. Cause I don't know that I could do that. Well, I think, I mean, the big thing that makes an adult different than a kid, if you look at it, is actually compromise, right? And most of the time, that's what frustrates people about teens is that they're unwilling to compromise. They don't like mm-hmm. this, so they're not going to do it. They don't like their body, so they're going to change their body. They don't like the way the world is, so they're going to shout about it. Instead, they say, well, sometimes that's just the way the world is. And they're like, but why is it just that way? So I feel like a lot of times what makes someone feel mature or adult is compromise. And I'm not exactly sure that nowadays that's entirely true. This isn't the world for compromise Mm -mm. anymore. So finding a way to um, navigate those nuanced spaces now with the same kind of unflinching principles. To me, I feel like, yes, 2020 is my time. These are my people. Rise, black and white Scorpios. Yeah. I don't know what you asked. I just... No, I don't think that I asked anything. No, but I think it's just like, maybe when we're teens, we're so, I don't want to say confident, but like so sure in what we think we believe because we're not smart enough to know the difference like was the one of the I don't remember the quote I'm not I'm not young enough to to know everything I can't remember who said it but it's like it is very true so like both like especially like Cammy for you and Beast Point like he definitely thinks he knows the best for himself and like every like he goes and he basically steals animals from a place like there's like he does all these things and it's just like he should maybe know better but he's a teen he doesn't like that's he well he like jumps in head first and like figures it out later like the problem um which i think there's you know different kinds i was i thought everything through as a teen you know but i mean it doesn't mean i made all the right choices but i still like thought about the variables like i would have been a really good criminal um I'm, you know, like, there I we go. Like, we have a poll quote for the podcast. Yeah. yeah. I'm really um, a great criminal, but, but I feel like, um, again, like that, like I am much more like Raven. So like, that was an easier character for me to get in her head, but I felt like it was important to like, you know, I had to figure out how to be Gar and cause I'm not the kind of person who would have like put on, put, had like a YouTube channel or put up pranks. Like I'm just not that's, I don't even like being like videotaped now. So I wouldn't have done anything like that, but I had to imagine like, what if I was that kid and I wanted, you know, that was my way in to like fit in and, you know, make friends and that kind of thing. And he's also very fun loving and like, he is kind of like a risk taker. And 
but again, like I feel like at the at the the essence of kind of being a teen is not just like not knowing what you don't know, but it's also like the level of passion at which you go after everything, which I think is what Maggie's talking about. That like if you feel like the world is wrong, you're gonna like figure out how to change it. And like, yeah. you might not accept that like, this is not going to be a world takeover plan and it's not really going to pan out the way you think you're still going to try. Mm-hmm. It's that like, you know, you, it's so effusive. You love what you love. You hate what you hate. And if anything, I feel like sometimes teens are much more authentically themselves than adults are mm-hmm. because we don't comp, you don't compromise, you know, you, you don't want to be around someone. You don't want to be around that person. And it's interesting because I also, I have ADHD, but I also um, suffer from anxiety and depression and I take medication for that. Mm -hmm. Um, And anxiety is really my, it's, that's my bad one is, is like, I just, you know, my mind will come up with every bad scenario that could happen. Mm -hmm. So I'm like the opposite of Gar, because he doesn't think about anything bad (laughs) that's going to happen. He just does it. But I feel like um, a lot of times that, you know, it's almost like Maggie was saying, I wish I kind of want to get away from that because I am kind of re I'm, I'm rediscovering the fact that like sometimes compromise isn't good as an adult. Like now that the world, there's so many things going on that have to do with like, you know, just accepting other people and treating them with humanity that they deserve. Like, I don't want to compromise about that. I don't want to be friends with people who can't do that. You know, like, and maybe that's a part of me that, you know, I am more comfortable with younger people because mm-hmm. I feel like so many adults hide sometimes like who they really are. And I feel like teens are sometimes better at that. Like they just are like, whatever, here I am. You don't like me. You don't like me. Yeah. Um, and I, I am more comfortable with that because I am like Maggie. Like people either love me or hate me. Like I am an acquired taste um, because I say what I think. And I feel like that's more accepted when you're young. When you're older, you're supposed to learn how to like temper your personality and behave yourself. And I'm not necessarily very good at that, I don't think. I do love, I, I don't know what age you have to be for people to just say, well, that's the way they are. Because I feel like, like my people I say, like my, my dad, he's like kind of curmudgeon-y and then they'll be like, well, that's just the way Pop Pop is. In my mind, I'm like, what age? can I get to where I can just kind of be a jerk for the things I want to be a jerk about and have everyone be like, that's just how Adam is. Like, that's you think cool. he was curmudgeonly when he was like four. Do you imagine him as like a baby, like oh. this little Byzantine icons of the baby Jesus was your dad sitting there <laughs> curmudgeonly, like clean up your room, Adam. Maybe. I, maybe. So the th- he also is a big believer in like the Peter Pan, like never grow up, like stay young at heart, which he is in some aspect, but then there's just things that he's a grump about. And it's like, I don't know what age you get to be where you can just say like, I'm not doing this because I don't want to do this. And that's the way I am. And like, no one gives you a hard time about it, but that's like my goal age to like get to whatever that is. So I gave uh, you permission for that to be now. I oh, think perfect. it's now. It's oh. The time is now. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's fair. I mean, I guess at this point, but here's the thing, like if someone asks me to do something, when we're all out to do things again. I'm probably going to say yes, no matter what it is, just to not sit <laughs> in this room anymore. Um, important question for both of you. I'll let one of you, I, you either of you can decide how, who to go, who wants to go first. Maggie, if you could be any plant, what would you be? And Cami, what would you, what animal would you turn into to align with your guys' respective Ooh. stories? Um, I think, honestly, I would turn into a tiger. Um, it's not the animal that I like the best that I would want as like a pet at home, obviously. Well, but Because yeah. um, cats are but I, evil, but like, as we know. Everyone will say, like, I want to be a lion. But the fact is, lions are not apex predators. Like, they actually are hunted by other animals. 
a tiger is an apex predator. Like aside from us, like there is no one above in the food chain. Like lions actually get eaten a lot, apparently by crocodiles. Like that's the new poll quote for the podcast. These are the the these are the things you learn when you're writing Beast Boy. You learn all this stuff. Tigers could be better criminals. Yeah. Yes. That's why you're, and that's why you're writing the like the the procedural because you know you know all. Yeah, tigers could be apex criminals. Yeah. There you go. Maggie, what's your plan? Oh, man. So I'm totally tied between a super attractive plant that is um, more fragile, right? Like an interesting one or one of those ones that you really just hate because you cannot get rid of them. We have string grass around here. Have you ever heard of this? It's all called wire grass, I think. Is it like the like the like the sawgrass stuff that like just destroys your legs if you run? No, it? no. This is, this sends out runners and it can root in just very little dirt, which means it can crawl across sidewalks as well. And if you kill the original part of it, it doesn't matter because it's rooted eight thousand other times. And it's a really shitty looking grass. Can I say that? It's a really terrible yeah, looking grass. Absolutely. And uh, it's just very sparse looking. If you mow it, your yard looks kind of you know grotty, right? But it's impossible to get rid of it. So on the one end, I think, I kind of feel like, as a creator, I want to be that wire grass, right? Because the people who make it in a creative world are those that didn't give up, right? They're not necessarily the best, but are the ones that just kept on trying. And so part of me wants to say, yeah, I would be wire grass, even though people are kind of, no one really wants wire grass, right? But the other thing is that when I was a kid, I wanted to be a rose hybridizer. I really loved the idea of breeding new fancy roses. And I love that it was this combination of aesthetic and science. Roses are assholes. Can I say that? Roses are terrible. Um, yeah, they're so finicky. They're awful. Um, we are now plagued in Virginia by something called the ro- oh, let's see, rose rosette disease. It turns your roses into sleeping beauty plants. It makes them yeah. stop not growing. Right? Yeah. So they keep growing. They overgrow. They grow themselves to death. They turn black with giant four inch long uh, thorns all over them, like a Sleeping Beauty hedge. And then they, they, they die. Roses. I mean, like, dude, get yourself together. There's more to life than beauty. All right. I decided I'm wire grass, I guess. Roses through them. Okay, oh. now you should take this with a grain. You should take this with a grain of salt because A, it's about salt, but also because I am not good at taking care of plants. Um, but my stepmother is and yes. she is like a like a rose aficionado and apparently if you put epsom salt in the soil it's very good for your roses now it won't help this the you know the beauty and the beast thorns as i'm in maryland near maggie so like we have the rose problem also but in terms of the finickiness and the fact that like you can overwater them and they want you know they don't want to be too dry but they want to be a little dry the epsom salt is like a magical thing do you know why that is no, of course not. You it's would know why that the is. the soil has been depleted over the past 20 years of magnesium content, which is what is in Epsom salts. You should also take a bath of Epsom salt, Cammy. Everybody should that take That I bath do all the time. And magnesium salts. Yeah. Yeah, when you have bad joints, Epsom salt becomes like your best friend. So you're like a rose with your connected... I am the... Start I am, telling people I am, it's your rose disease instead. I was like, I'm, the, I'm finicky like a rose, but I am... Um, and prickly like a rose, but less attractive than a rose is the way I'm going to think about it. Oh. See, people, we, people come here for the book stories. They stay for the uh, impressive you know, knowledge about roses and plants and things like that. <laughs> Crime, gardening, you get it all. Uh-huh. I feel like we're very on brand. Cammie is definitely 
pro-crime here. I'm definitely pro-plant here, right? We're doing the Beast Boy Swamp thing. We're doing it. We're doing the job. Well, Maggie, I'll let you pick an animal, but you can't pick Raven. Oh, can I be the animal that is living in the clouds of Venus? Yeah, for sure. Apparently the surface of Venus is too acidic for anything else to live in, which is the reason why they haven't been looking for life there. And what the only places that are habitable are 35 miles up. I always wanted to fly. I could be flying bacteria. Well, what, what will the name be of the animal in the clouds of Venus, the cloud animal? Well, it will be Steve Otter, but no one will be able to pronounce it, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> or spell it. <laughs> yes, exactly. I before E, except in German, I don't know. It'll be the Steve Vader, which, uh, you know, that's, by the way, I have to tell you both, we have, I happen to know this because they interact with us on Twitter all the time. There is both a uh, Raven Boys and Beautiful Creatures, like, podcast that follow us, and they're both going to be so pissed that I didn't ask either of you questions about either of those stories, but they've been uh-huh. on so long, so, oh well. Um, last question for you guys both. What do you hope readers kind of take away from your stories here? These ones specifically. I mean, for me, the thing, yeah, I mean, for Beast Boy specifically, I think the most important thing is like, I, you know, I want people, well, number one, I want relatability. I want, um, you know, I have dyslexic teen in, in Beast Boy, disabled teens. Like I want teens to be able to see themselves and someone in the book. And I, but I also really want them to feel like it is okay to, it's okay to be going through weird things and, you know, not who you, know who you are all the time. Like Raven kind of knows innately who she is deep down. She just has to accept it. Like Gar's figuring it out. And I feel like a lot of times that's what, that's kind of what you're doing as a teen. You're like trying on different personas and figuring out who you want to be. And that's okay. And like, eventually you will figure it out. You just have to be true to yourself. That's like always my message is like, whatever's in your heart, like don't let anyone tell you that's the wrong thing to be. Like be the thing that, you know, that you really feel deep down in your gut. Maggie, how about you? I'm going to go empathy. The entire um, volume of Swamp Thing is entirely about language. It's about emphasizing how we're all aliens. Um, Alec thinks he can't understand himself but he thinks he can understand plants. He thinks he can understand other humans. And in reality, everyone has their own language and their own systems. And if you could just figure out what wavelength they're operating on, then if you can figure out a plant, you can figure out a human and vice versa. So that's what I want. Yeah, that's what I want readers to take away from Swamp Thing is just the idea that if you can find a system, then yes, you can solve the system. That's amazing. Maggie, Cammy, you guys are so much fun. I feel like I could have just quietly listened to you guys talk for hours. Thank you both for joining me today. Uh, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, for sure. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.